my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our website, Clark.com, our deal site, ClarkDeals.com. And as you were doing your Christmas shopping, we're here to serve you around the clock at ClarkDeals.com with the deals that can really save you money versus what the retailers say saves you money. You know, speaking of money, the second largest purchase for most of us in our lives are vehicles. Vehicle we drive. And one thing you don't want to do is spend a lot of money on a newer used vehicle and be on a first name basis with the mechanic. You want that vehicle to work. Well, the most respected survey of reliability each year is the one done by Consumer Reports. And Consumer Reports takes thorough data from, I think it's more than a million car owners, to develop a list of the most reliable brands to the least reliable of all brands. And the thing is, you don't want to be stuck by the side of the road. You don't want to have to pay to get your vehicle back on the road. You don't want to be without it. And this year's survey for the most reliable of all vehicle brands has a new number one. And the crazy thing is their rating is so high, nobody's close. And that's Mazda. Mazda is kind of a forgotten about Japanese brand. You know, they're a much smaller automaker. But according to Consumer Reports, crunching of data, they are the most reliable. And who did they displace? Year after year, the most reliable brand, year in and year out, has been Lexus. But Lexus fell all the way to third. And I'm telling you, it's not close. Mazda, an 83. Lexus, a 71. Lexus even got beaten for second spot by Toyota, which is the parent brand of Lexus. And there are reasons that certain brands, particularly very expensive ones, don't perform well in Consumer Reports reliability ratings. And it's brands that are doing a lot of model changeovers, a lot of improvements in models, new features, new that. When vehicles are redone, their reliability usually is pretty crummy. And it takes a while to work the bugs out. And I think that's why Lexus fell to third. Nearly tied with them, Buick in fourth place. Honda, fifth. Hyundai, sixth. Ram, seventh. Subaru, eighth. Porsche, ninth. And Dodge, tenth. Now, who's selling the most unreliable vehicles? Far, far, far away with a score I don't think I've ever seen this low, Lincoln got an 8. 
I mean, that's as low of an F as you could be. And they dropped 11 places from the year before. Tesla came in second to last, or second is the least reliable of all brands, with a 29. The funny thing about that, Tesla has the most loyal owners of any vehicle brand sold in the United States. But the reliability thing, they got a lot of work to do. Also at the bottom, Volkswagen, third most unreliable, Mini, fourth most unreliable, and Ford, fifth most unreliable. So reliability is an absolute key decider in what you buy. For other people, it's style or an emotional connection to a vehicle. But for a lot of owners or would-be owners of a vehicle, being reliable is really, really important. And look at Mazda there sitting in the catbird seat by far number one. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternate. And Kim, you're up. All right. This is from Douglas in North Carolina. And it's hard to understand the way he wrote it, whether or not he is one of these people. But he says two older people, both 78, have fallen in love and decided to live together. Both are reasonably well off. They're in good health with major debts paid and comfortable lifestyles. My question is, how should they cover common everyday expenses? And is there a good way to handle extraordinary expenses like travel and vacations? Should there be a joint checking account, community credit cards, etc.? What I like in a situation like this is a, his checking account, a hers checking account, and a theirs account. And then for things like travel, for common travel expenses, that there is one joint credit card. But other than that, because they are uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, and not married, other than having that joint household account for joint expenses and one joint credit card for things that are obviously common decisions like buying airline tickets or paying for a hotel or something like that that they're doing together, that expenses and accounts stay separate, that they can have joined their heart, but best not to join their money. And as far as the joint account, what you do is you come up with your best guesstimate of monthly common expenses, you know, internet connection, rent or mortgage, things like that, utilities, and each put in an equal amount of money to keep that account funded each month. And you pay those bills from that account. I know that doesn't sound very romantic. Joel? Clark Cathy in Georgia says, would it be wise to hire a company to help me clean up things on my credit report? No. No. Credit repair is illegal in a number of states. And even in states, it's not illegal. I don't recommend it. These organizations will promise that they can clear true information off your report. So you can have collections on there, you could have late pays, and these credit repair outfits claim they have magic that will make all these negatives disappear. And there's a little kernel of truth that covers up a big lie. Temporarily, 
a credit repair outfit can get things suppressed typically for a 30-day period from your credit. And you'll pay them this money. You'll think, these people are unbelievable. Look at my credit report. Everything's all clean and clear now. And then a month later, the stuff reappears. So it is a snake oil thing with credit repair. Your credit automatically repairs with time. At seven years, virtually every negative mark on your credit will vanish from your report anyway. And items that are negative have their greatest impact usually in the first two years. The thing to do is the best way to repair credit is just pay every bill on time every single month moving forward. And the problems with credit in the past slowly become less and less a factor in your present and your future. Kim? Robert in Wisconsin says, our almost 24-year-old son will be going to grad school next year, and we want to contribute $500 a month to this fine endeavor. We live in Wisconsin, which is one of your 529 honor roll states. And we want to know, can we contribute this money each year to a 529 for him and use the Wisconsin tax deduction that's available even though he'll be 24 when he starts school? If at 24, it would depend on the rules under Wisconsin's tax code, but in many states, as long as he is a full-time student and still you're dependent on your income tax, you would be able to receive the deduction. But again, this is very state-specific, and so I can't say for sure whether or not you would benefit for Wisconsin's uh, tax benefits for contributing to a plan but it's still a great idea for you to take the money even if there's not a specific tax deduction for doing the contribution into a 529 account that you own with your 24 year old son as the named beneficiary you keep the money in there and then pay from it it reduces the financial obligations under the financial aid formula that the graduate school would calculate there would be your son's responsibility. So having the money, not necessarily in your hands, but in the 529 you own is a great place to put this money. Joel? Clark Mario in Michigan uh, says, I've got a question about real estate. I currently own two rental properties, but I'm considering investing some of my money more passively. What's your opinion um, on Fundrise, the online real estate crowdfunding platform? So Fundrise is one of several um, fundraising platforms, if you will, for real estate, where people pool money to buy real estate. The expenses in funds like Fundrise are on the high side to me. And my preference instead is that you go into a larger REIT fund or a index fund of REITs, real estate investment trusts, because then you can go into something that has much, much, much lower expenses, no commissions up front. And if you buy a uh, no load fund investment, and I love the REIT index fund that Vanguard offers that would allow you uh, no commissions in and tiny, tiny ongoing management fees and extreme diversification of your money in uh, so many varieties of real estate 
that you don't get when you go into a small pool like Fundrise or its competitors. It's not a scam in any way. It's just I think there are better ways for you to do passive real estate investing. Manuela is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Manuela, I'm really sorry to hear that you are dealing with cancer. Hi, Clark. Um, Yes, I got diagnosed in October, and right before I was told that I had cancer, I was closing on a house. So I was calling to get some advice on you in regards to um, mortgage protection. Well, let's first talk about your health. Um, what are what's your prognosis look like? Was this caught early that it looks like you're going to be? Are you being told you're going to be okay after you go through treatments, or what are you uh, expecting here? Yes, um, I I was caught early, um, and it was a small um, size, two centimeters. So they just taken it out. So I'm going to start um, radiation pretty soon. Um, so the, it, it looks good. It looks like you know that I'm going to beat it and. But I'm just concerned because I have two little girls that are like school age. So. Well, well. Uh, first, congratulations in a bad situation that this was caught early, and I, I hope the radiation treatment is something you're able to handle really well. And I wish you a full and complete recovery. Thank so you. you said something about um, life insurance. Tell me what you're thinking of. Um, yes, well, originally when I was um, being uh, about to be diagnosed, um, you know, uh, when I was getting tested, I started looking into getting life insurance because um, of my two little girls. I called USAA and they told me that um, that I would, have, because I started the application online and it was already some health questions in regards to how I'd been diagnosed with cancer. So I just called the rep and they told me that it was best to wait until I was fully done with my treatment to see if, um, you know, to call, to see if I, to apply for that life insurance because I didn't want to be turned down. And you said you um, bought the home recently just before you found out. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, the the mortgage lender is going to paper you over um, with emails, direct mail, trying to get you to buy something I refer to as junk life insurance called mortgage life insurance. And it's something that costs much, much more than what you tried to buy from USAA. But in a case like this, one of the things they tout about it is that you don't have to medically qualify. There's no medical exam. Um, if there's a question that's a health-related question, you have to answer honestly and say that you have been diagnosed but otherwise, normally you can buy mortgage life insurance without worry about the premium uh, being you being turned down because the premiums you pay actually are for the benefit of the bank that does your mortgage, not directly for you. They just want to make sure they get paid for the mortgage. So you can buy that um, and cover the amount of the mortgage. And know that your kids, if your health took an unexpected negative turn, that you wouldn't have to worry about your kids having to deal with that mortgage. So this would be the rare exception, Manuela, where buying the mortgage life insurance would be a good decision on your part. Oh, okay. 
I'm so glad I called you then because, yeah, I've been getting a lot of notices and I was like, I was about to throw them away, but I was like, let me call Clark Howard and see what he would say in regards to this. And when you when you complete successful treatment and you're declared cancer-free, there will come a time where you will be eligible for uh, regular good level term life insurance. And mm-hmm. at that point, you'd want to get your own policy that would be medically underwritten, and then you'd dump the um, mortgage life insurance. But in the meantime, it would give you that peace of mind you're looking for. So best to you, and I hope you do, in fact, have a fantastic recovery. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you have. This is so different than a normal talk show in that our show is all about us learning from each other and using knowledge to take more control. And so you rely on me. You expect me to give you the best information, the best guidance, and the best opinions. Well, what if I don't deliver something that you feel like I expect more from Clark Howard and you didn't get it from me? I want you to go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and write up your feeling of where I did stink it up. And then once a week, our producers, Kim and Joel, go through your posts on Clark Stinks and share their favorites with you right here on the show. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, Clark Howard. Let's do this. Keith says you're too good of a person to stink and shoot i'm not supposed to read that anymore that upset somebody else but that's what he says you're too good of a person to stink but please don't call social security a benefit it's my money that was taken from me in my working years i appreciate that and i know people also feel that way about medicare the problem is that what's being collected for social security from you and me and our paychecks and what's being collected from us for Medicare is not dollar for dollar what it takes to fund the system. For Medicare, for every one dollar that we pay in through our working lifetime, the average person will get three dollars in medical care paid for by the government. 
the ratio is not as out of whack for Social Security, but Social Security and Medicare are transfer programs that are underfunded from the taxes we pay for them versus the benefits that we receive. That's why the Social Security Trust Fund is running short of money and the Medicare thing is way short and we need to have what what we had during President Reagan's presidency. We need to have a bipartisan commission that comes up with a way to make sure we are having enough money coming in for both of these programs so that the benefits we receive will be fully funded. Right now, they are a benefit rather than a return of our own money because on balance, we are paying in less money in tax than what we get in checks once we are retired. Joel? Clark Becky says, I just listened to a short clip where you were talking about Googling to find out when Walmart was busy by the hour, even how busy it is right now. But you didn't say what, what to Google in order to find that information. I'm usually good at Googling, but not with the vague information you provided. I apologize. And I just use the tool so often that I forget to be more specific with something like that. So if you put in... Uh, let's say a store like I'm putting in. So for me, I'm putting in the Costco that is right by me. And I do that as a search. It will come up in Google showing me the busyness of the store. And on the right-hand side, it shows each day how busy the store is. And it shows right now how many people are in my Costco and how crowded it is and this is the most crowded hour of the day today historically at costco and it's very busy right now and then i see when it's very uncrowded it's very uncrowded in the 10 o'clock hour and the seven o'clock hour seven in the evening 10 in the morning seven in the evening today is the hours that if I want to see the smallest number of people, that's when I would go. So again, just go to Google, put in a search for a retailer with a specific location, and then if they have the data for you, it will be on the right under a category called popular times, hour by hour, and then you can look at other days for historical numbers, potentially depending on the store. But I'm looking right now, I can only see today's activity and the real number of people actually in there now. Kim? Lee says, when you talk about the German grocer Lidl, I went nuts trying to find it online. I tried Lidl, L-E-E-T-L-E. I tried Legal, L-E-G-A-L, and a bunch of other names before hitting on the idea of searching for a German grocer trying to break into my market. Going forward, if you think there is any possible confusion about a company that you were talking about, please take the high road, as you normally do anyway in most things, and spell it out. L-I-D-L. And I apologize for uh, just talking about it the way I do shorthand. And you're right. If you do a, a traditional search on your phone or laptop and you don't know how to spell a business and you can't even get close with something like Lidl, I mean, you think it's L-E-D-L-E, right? Um, 
So that is very good advice when something's spelled not at all like it sounds. Joel? Clark, this one comes from Thomas. He says, you may not stink if you can explain this one to me. There's another famous financial guru on the radio who has the exact opposite opinion on credit scores. You congratulate people who boast that their credit score is over 800. The other financial advisor says that they are just a slave to the FICO system, which encourages debt. Who's correct, Clark? Defend yourself. (laughs) Okay, so obviously this is about Dave Ramsey. Um, Dave Ramsey is strident that debt is evil. And he has very specific reasons from his own life why you should never, ever concentrate on debt and how it's graded. I don't mean that he wants you to pay off your debt, but the thing about credit scores is they affect so many things we do, and and credit scores are a proxy for how we're doing with our credit. It affects what auto or homeowner's insurance we can qualify for, what rates we'll pay, what kind of mortgage rate we can get, what kind of vehicle loan, um, anything that's going to involve a decision being made on whether to grant insurance or credit is two key areas. Um, the credit profile and ultimately your score matter a whole lot. So I believe that there are many of us who can use credit in a way as a payment system and it's not harmful. Dave Ramsey specifically concentrates on an audience of people who have had difficulty with cre- with credit and with debt and are trying to never be in a penalty box from debt. And that's not my specific focus. And that's why I approach this differently than he does. Kim? Jeff says, oh, I was listening to you on my walk this morning. When you talked about having your credit card stolen, I learned something about you that startled me so much I nearly walked into a tree. All caps. How in the world do you not have notifications on your credit cards? I can't believe you're okay with depending on the credit card company to suspect fraud on your account. After, of course, the fraud fraudster has gone through 48 hours of food, drink, and who knows what else. I have alerts on all my cards. They can be sent by text, email, or both. They usually arrive within seconds of a weird transaction. Why wouldn't you want to know about the fraudulent use immediately? And your answer cannot be, it's the credit card company's money, not mine, so I'll let them worry about it, because that would be very un-Clark-like. Oh, well, I must have explained that story very poorly, because the way I found out was because I have alerts set up. Now, I have the alert set up where it doesn't trigger till someone has hit a certain dollar transaction. This uh, particular criminal that had duplicated my card or bought my card some number somewhere and printed their own card and was using it, they were doing something that's not typical of a criminal. They were doing extremely small transactions. So until they hit a big, expensive restaurant meal, I didn't get an alert because you can set up the alerts for whatever dollar amount. And so my trigger is $50. So I got the notice at $50, immediately called the fraud department at the credit card company. And so it was my decision that I can set the alerts 
with this particular credit card wherever I want, and I had set it at a higher number maybe than you're comfortable with, but there hadn't been that much. There had been, I think it was nine transactions that had been done, but all total, they didn't represent a lot of money. I mean, usually somebody who's got a hot, good working credit card number in their hands is going to really try to buy some expensive things. They only seem to like food. Joel? Clark, this comes from Shelly. She says, I was listening to your podcast from November 18th regarding the Boeing planes being back in service. I disagree that we should all get back on Boeing planes and that all is fine and dandy. According to your words, they were reckless and negligent and knew of the dangers they were putting passengers in. Why should this be swept under the rug and why should it be business as normal? Flying passengers should be up in arms over this behavior by another big corporation that has hidden the dangers and put every passenger's life in jeopardy. Sorry, Clark, I'm not going to reward them and fly as usual. I value my life even if they don't. Thank you very much for the post. And I know that um, I knew when I talked about that that I would generate a reaction very similar to yours. I just feel that um, Boeing has been punished financially in the marketplace. I also feel that there are people at Boeing that should suffer criminally for what went on. Nothing seems to be happening on that score. But as far as the practical matter of the aircraft, it's going to be in aircraft fleets. And I do feel that now with the hyper, hyper attention that's been on what happened at Boeing, that the MAX is going to be a very safe aircraft to step on. Mike is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mike. How you doing? Clark, I'm doing really well today, and I hope you are also. Having a great day. And Mike, you're going to make me step in with a disagreement, husband and wife. Is that right? This is right. My wife and I have this long-term conversation. We want to buy property in Florida. Uh, We've gone down there in years past. We're both retired. She would like to buy in a mobile home resort community park that her sister actually lives in. Um, I'm concerned that there is a monthly lot rental that... We don't own the lot, and I would rather buy in a community 55 uh, plus buying a house with a mortgage. So the the three questions is, I believe the mobile home park is not the best financial area. Two, I'd like to know how I probably should pay for taking money out of a non-IRA account. And three, who should I get in Florida to help me through the process, either lawyer or real estate agent type of deal? Okay, so if you can afford buying a home instead of buying in one of the uh, mobile home communities, I want you Mm -hmm. to buy a home. Um, Now, a home is going to cost, if you look for equivalent square footage, it will typically cost you twice as much or more to buy a traditional home in a 55-plus community versus buying in one of these mobile home communities. But that's only a higher upfront cost because the ongoing costs are more favorable for you because the home you buy potentially could increase in value over time. You don't own the property under the mobile home. You could even be kicked out at some point if real estate... uh, developer comes along and wants that property it can be sold right out from under you and the home itself with the mobile home depreciates over time 
where the home is likely to appreciate. So let's okay. talk finances. Uh, is your okay. financial picture one where you could afford to buy in a 55 plus or is what the mobile home would cost much more in the range of what would be affordable for you as a couple up front? Uh, we could possibly we could go either way. And my thought would be that we would pull some money or all the money out of a non IRA account through a, through a brokerage firm. And the question is, should I pay, pull everything out and pay it off? Or should I maybe pull out maybe one year worth of mortgage payments and every year pull a little bit out to let the mutual funds grow uh, versus paying it off completely? Well, you know, you can't eat your house. So if you were to pull out enough money out of the brokerage that you just bought the second home, it means that over time you would need to build that money back up. How many years are you away from retiring where you won't be working anymore? Uh, the, the quick snapshot is that both my wife and I are retired. Uh, are retired. Our current home in Michigan is paid off. Our cars are paid off. Uh, our monthly bills are just utilities, and we pay off our credit cards every month. And uh, we're currently um, maintaining a living on our my wife's pension, my Social Security, and Suzette uh, is taking spousal benefits against my Social Security and has not touched hers, and our plan is not to touch hers until she ages out at 71, 72 years of age. So the the financial side, I think, are, we're fairly solid on. All right. If you're solid, I would actually do a cash-out refi against your principal residence in Michigan. Interest rates are ultra-low. Borrow the money you would need to buy a home in Florida. And you can find a 55-plus community near your sister-in-law and not necessarily live right in the same mobile home park is her but live in a home nearby because long term that would be a more secure financial decision um, interesting interesting because interest rates I, go ahead should i get a lawyer or a real estate oh, agent i didn't answer that through the florida yeah so you want a uh, real estate agent on the ground what county in florida are you thinking of buying in uh that would be lee county uh, oh i know Fort lee Myers. very well and the Lee's a very active real estate market community, a huge 55-plus county, um, you know, with developments 55-plus. Get down there, go around, find an agent who's really experienced in the area of Lee County that you've targeted, and then I would think you buy a place. And I know I'm not supposed to disagree with your wife, but in this case, I do. I think it's a better decision to buy an actual property since it is something that would be affordable for you in the short term, but in the long term, it's a much better financial decision. You're okay. listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.